Hello, everyone, and welcome to Marketing Roundtable, a brain do podcast. I'm Tatiana Knee-Smith, and I work in design. I'm Rachel Rhodes, and I work in organic social media. And today we have an elite guest, brain do zone principal, Brian Cosgrove. Please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Brian Cosgrove, and I'm principal at brain do, one of the founders. And I'm happy to speak with you today. Nice. Great to have you. Um, so can you please give us some of your background on who you are and your relationship to digital marketing? Yes. Um, I am definitely more of an engineer. That's how I started out my career. Uh, I was in space systems engineering and I got into marketing um, through a second job, um, a warehouse job that I wasn't, I guess, the fastest at. But the owners of the company asked if I could help them out with their website because they knew a little bit about what I was doing in the rest of my uh, career. And I learned a lot about SEO, learned a lot about analytics, learned a lot about other channels. And I decided to make a career switch in 2006. And I applied for an agency for the sort of most entry-level SEO job. And the strength of my interview uh, landed me several levels several levels up so I knew I had a knack for it and um, that's how I got started that's an impressive start to be hired several levels up from what you interviewed for how many people get to say that yeah it was it was it was wild I I went in there hoping just to get the job Um, yeah and apparently made an impression on some of the the more senior people there Mm. but it was an interesting time I don't think there were a lot of experts in the space and I feel like even today there are a lot of people that have like a certain level of knowledge around different marketing pieces, but there there are still a pretty small number that have the ability to do really advanced strategies and really mm-hmm. be competitive. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm excited to be part of it. Yeah. Um, and was that mostly self-taught SEO up until that point? Yeah. I mean, I approached it from an engineering perspective and a bit of an academic perspective. So I was reading you know, uh, papers about the algorithms. I was trying to understand how the scoring worked. And, um, you know, I was looking at it, you know, very much from a numbers perspective, like Mm -hmm. how much traffic are we getting exactly? Where are we getting it? Mm -hmm. Why are we getting it from there? What are the factors? And and algorithmically, what does that page look like um, if I were to try to profile it? And so it gave me a much better sense, I guess. I was much more to the point on the nose with like how to... um, you know, really how to improve things. And I would also spend a lot of time reverse reversing out anything that did rank well. The answers, mm, yeah. when we're doing a lot of internet marketing, the answers are right in front of us. You know, because of the nature of marketing, you can see what everybody's done if you're analyzing it, if you're studying it. So I spent a lot of time trying to understand success mm. and, and trying to understand why did this page outrank that page? Um, so it helped and I was able to do really, really well with it. Yeah. And with your SEO background, you obviously you have a history with our VP of SEO, Ron. Mm-hmm. Um, could you yeah. tell us a little bit about that little little origin story? Yeah. The origin yes. story. Yes. So Ron came in, he had done a little bit of SEO and, and PR work before, but this was kind of his first, you know, th- this was a big step up. This was a big step for him to, to join the team and I spent a lot of time walking him through kind of my own 
you know, methods of keyword research, my own ways to do categorization and try to group different keywords together and just describe the universe of keywords we wanted to rank for. So mm -hmm. I did a lot of work with him, you know, kind of a lot of spreadsheets and a lot of, you know, research, a lot of different ways to analyze content. And his background was more from the writing and content side. So it blended well because his strengths, um, you know, complemented the very technical approach that I was taking yeah, to it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Two halves of one whole. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. It was great. We worked together for a few years there, and his career went, you know, in different directions. Um, we, and we really excited that we got a chance to work together again. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so cool. And, you know, you've, like, really built good connections with people when they're coming back like into your life later on it, it shows a real like strength of character I think um, yeah. <laughs> and obviously you know you did end up starting your own digital marketing company yep um, so can you tell us a little bit about you know what made you want to start brain do and what your goals were there Yes. So part of me has always been a little bit entrepreneurial. Mm. Um, since I was young, I always thought I want to create something, you know, like, uh, but I did like working with some of the other companies I was at for, for a certain period of time. I just kept seeing opportunities that I'm like, this could be better. Mm. We could do something better over here. Um, a big thing for me was... I wanted to give opportunity to people um, that didn't kind of have them moving along a certain structured hierarchy. Like I wanted to create opportunities for people to do impactful work earlier on. Um, you know, thinking a bit more about, uh, you know, people that might be sort of stuck in a, in a certain position and not really able to move move ahead. I wanted to make sure that I was you know, it, to me, it, it was always important to me to make sure to create those opportunities to kind of like allow people to mature and not to, not to be in an organization where we'd rather you just stay in the same position and we'd rather you just do the same thing 10 years from now that you're doing today. Um, so me being very growth oriented mm -hmm. meant that was a strong value when I was starting Braindew. Another part is I just I wanted to create a nurturing culture. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was very much a culture play. Um I saw cases where certain teams were, were working extremely well together. And I saw cases where teams were really not, you know, and people were burnt out. People had resentments toward each other and there were a lot of challenges. I wanted to create an environment where people really were supportive, that they were naturally collaborative instead of being pitted against each other and competing with each other. Mm. So it's, you know, it's, Braindew happened in part, you know, as a collaboration between myself and a coworker of mine and 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 friend of mine, Jenny Dew. We wanted to create the place that we wanted to work at when we were doing, you know, that when we were in those roles. And so um, we also wanted the ability to turn down companies that we didn't want to work with. <laughs> you know, it's not just about uh, the money. It was very much about trying to have an impact. So 
it's it's a lot of things it's it's sort mm -hmm. of like a confluence mm -hmm. of different forces that um you know that led jenny and i to give up great jobs <laughs> and you know i remember telling my parents and they were trying to talk me out of it really um, yes uh, um look where i am now so i had mom. so much security yeah. exactly yeah, yeah. Had the, you know and it was just like yeah i'm gonna give it all up <laughs> no more benefits for right yep. now at least <laughs> yep i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna give this a go mm. and um and start something new so and now it's been 10 years as of february we've hit that 10 year anniversary yes it's amazing big milestone yeah. the company's obviously the grown a lot is awesome yeah <laughs> yes congratulations <laughs> Yes. How did you use some of your kind of technical experience to inform your business decisions then? Because you were doing that for other people, but now you're kind of like doing it for yourself. What was that like? It's interesting. You know, I had to kind of come up with my own KPIs, my own scorecards. Mm -hmm. I had to start to look at things differently and figure out, you know, pick apart how, you know, this company works. I think for a while there, earlier on, it was very easy to, um, you know, I was doing a lot of the work on the front lines, especially with, you know, with Braindew early on. And it was very easy for me to, you know, I just work harder. <laughs> you know, it's like, how are things doing? Just work harder, you know. Um, and now it's like, all right, I need to look at the operations. I need to look at the organization, you know, as a whole and make sure to take care of it and, and nurture its health. So it's um, sort of like analyzing a website, sort of like analyzing a digital program. I need my KPIs, I need my scorecards. <laughs> and, um, you know, the goal is to keep it moving in the right direction. Yeah, because, you know, you are the founder of this new company, but at the end of the day, you are still a data analyst. And it's not yes. like you've just kind of faded into the background of being like that yeah. ambiguous co-founder owner that's just like you never really see from them they're not really involved you are involved you do like actively work with the team so why is having such a solid analytic strategy on digital assets critical for business growth and success i mean there are so many easy ways to waste energy <laughs> to waste time oh, yeah. to waste money it's yeah. so easy to do yeah um if you don't start keeping score of how you're doing, it's very hard to even tell hmm. um, when you're doing well or when you're not. If it creeps up on you. You kind of find out after the fact when when it starts impacting things. Yeah. Hmm. If you're not, you know, keeping keeping track on sort of those leading indicators. Mm -hmm. So that's you know a big part of why I feel like everybody should be getting some degree of spending some time really looking at the numbers and then trying to understand what what items are driving those numbers mm -hmm. in either direction. Mm -hmm. And which numbers are probably even important to look at in the first place. They might not know they're kind of looking at the wrong thing. Yeah, there's a lot of vanity metrics out there. Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of things that people think are important to look at and then find out later on that they're not. So let's say a company's gotten to that space where they're like, mm -hmm. oh, no, we realize we haven't been keeping track of things. We're kind of off the rails. How mm -hmm. can they then kind of reverse engineer and implement a better strategy? 
The first part is to see, you know, do they have good data to work with in the first place? Mm. So we have to clean that up if they don't. Um, I would say spend some time looking at what data they do have, then determine what data they should have, um, and try to get that worked out. Now, if they do have good data to work with, you know, there might still be some filtering and cleaning that needs to be done. Um, for example, uh, you know, common things like your own team or your own development team or testing tools or other things like that could show up as traffic and web analytics mm. tool. And so that's not, they don't represent normal customer behavior. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're not helpful for making business decisions to get more customers. Right. So there's a lot of work to kind of look at there. Even, you know, separating out existing customers from prospective customers. There's a lot of work to separate a lot of that out so that you mm-hmm. can get the right read on the right group or the right segment that you're actually trying to impact. God, there's so right. many details to think about. Yeah. Just like visioning like all the funnels yeah. and like maps of where people go and how they get filtered in the different spaces. It's a yeah. lot. And and yeah. we were talking about like looking at their data, what data they have um i think it's important to kind of add in that fact that like you can't like retroactively get that data if you if you're building a website um that's a really important pitch to like get those get that foundational analytics work done so that you have that data later um if anyone was thinking about doing a website and we're trying to like pick and choose the most important things to have done what would you recommend being important to have a functioning trackable website (laughs) your favorite kpis go (laughs) yeah no it's 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 really interesting so the first thing is i'd look at a website and say what you know when we think about user stories right Mm -hmm. because i know that you're you know in the ux world like when we think about what are the actual flows what are the actual tasks to be done on the website Mm -hmm. you know i land and you should be able to answer what do we want the customer to do? What do we want the user to do? Mm-hmm. You want to think about all of those different flows and then figure out how to count how many times those flows happen. Um, you want to be consistent with how you count it and you want to make sure that you count, you know, you come up with a criteria that says that definitively happened, that that the end of that flow definitively happened. I would say that is the very first thing that everybody should, you know, focus on is can I track how many times those items happened the very end to go along with that just how much traffic you have meaning i need to just track every entrance to the website mm-hmm. so that i can now figure out what rate those things happened at um so i would say that's the first thing to focus on in today we've moved from thinking about what i'd say would be early web analytics which was just how many page views that I have Mm -hmm. and uh, we moved into eventing sometime you know so if we think about you know 90s to early 2000s it was just counting loading of web pages (laughs) if we move beyond that we started with eventing using JavaScript it's how many times people interacted with different parts within a page Mm. Um, and that led us to this very like UI centric Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, view of things that is very much, you know, and web centric. As uh, we moved into the end of the, you know, into the to 2010s, 
We now had mobile apps. We had other different forms of screens that needed a lot of this kind of, um, we needed a lot, we needed new language, you know, it wasn't necessarily a click, it was a tap. You know, we needed to think about things a little bit differently um, and different UI experiences, sometimes trying to do the same job. So it was a big evolution yeah. um, for us to try to start moving in the direction of just counting, okay, events. And mm -hmm. let me think about the fact that now that the web's been around this long or now that the internet, you know, internet UI experiences have been around this long, mm -hmm. how do I track and trace them over generations of applications, over generations of websites? I wanna keep some of these numbers lined up because I wanna compare how I finished a registration process on one application and how I finished it in a second. Mm -hmm. So it led us to just thinking about more generic business events or just more generic conceptual events and tracking those. And the current generation of tools seems to be more focused on this event-based approach, um, which lends itself to work with even a voice app, even you know other kinds of interfaces and ones that we haven't even created yet. Um, you know, how do we interact with companies through the web? Um, we're starting to record events now, sort of somewhat decoupled or independent of the current expression in terms of an interface. Mm -hmm. So being able to count those things um, and how they get done leaves the designers and the UI teams able to have more creative freedom on exactly how to, to make those events happen because they know what the events are that, that they want to increase. Mm -hmm. So they can express those events in different ways. They can come up with an entirely different way to register. They can think through different um, you know, ways to purchase or check out and how those just increase the overall number of purchases happening. Yeah. Um, and could you just like explain what an event is for someone who might be unfamiliar? Yeah. When I'm using the word event here, just think of it as, um, so a purchase would be an event. Um, honestly, any action or occurrence um, on a web application or an app or anything in this digital space, uh, what I'm talking about you know, in the context of clickstream data or, you know, other kinds of this digital application front-end data is that an event is simply something we count, something we send from the application itself to a server that records the occurrences mm. and, and counts them. We give them a name and the name itself, the language behind all of that, mm -hmm. um, is an art. It definitely is. I mean, you have to think about it um, how to group them together so that they're intuitive, so that they're clear, um, right. and so that the language is consistent. The best kind of events are ones that you could guess, you know, meaning yeah. I've seen what five of these events are. I know there's another action I could do on the website. I can guess what that event name is. And just being that consistent with it where the terminology and the phrasing, um, is completely intuitive. Um, I would say that's probably one of the largest areas that companies don't plan out ahead of time mm. and makes the data that they're working with so much more complex <laughs> and difficult to work with. 
So then would an event just be like the end of the journey or like a significant stop on a user's journey? It's the whole spectrum. Okay. So an event can be as small as every step or every nuanced mid-step within a journey or as broad as the end. Okay. Um, When we're describing events, I usually think about these milestone events being sort of the end of the journey and possibly the start of the journey. Mm -hmm. They're major milestones in the application. um, But then we've got all of the, you know, if we're recording the details within the UI, like clicking on that particular button or scrolling on that, you know, particular Mm. piece or even watching the video to 10 seconds yeah all of those would be they're still events but they are i would consider them to be you know secondary Mm. they're still on the overarching journey right right okay Mm -hmm. that makes sense yeah and now where do people even view this data i know like google analytics is a big one are there Mm -hmm. other spaces to be viewing this data in so Google Analytics, Adobe Analytics are two of the biggest. Adobe Analytics. Yeah, yeah they're I two of the biggest ones. I haven't heard of that one. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't? I work in yeah. social media. I'm like, what's Adobe <laughs> Analytics? What is it? I guess um, you don't work in as many pitch decks as me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, um, so it, a company uh, named Omniture uh, in Utah Um was purchased by Adobe, I guess, a number of years ago. And before that had happened, Omniture had purchased website story and, and visual sciences. So they had, you know, they, and, and a bunch of other, and several other products that they added into their digital analytics reporting suite. Um, so Adobe analytics, you know, even though, uh, it's only had that name for maybe the last, uh, 10 years or so, maybe even less. Um, it's been been about ten years, I think. Um, it it's been around as a product, you know, far longer than that. Mm-hmm. Probably to the very beginning of JavaScript, that JavaScript eventing I talked about earlier. Mm, yeah. So um, a number of other tools have kind of gone away. There's a few other, you know, uh, companies that we're starting to see emerge, um, and more and more. I guess we're starting to see companies collect the data first party, which is where they start. um, They're taking the same information that they were sending to these tools, sending it to their own endpoints, meaning their own servers. And they're processing those events into sessions, into users. You know, they're they're kind of combining them and joining them by all those keys. is and that significantly more difficult than just using something pre-built like Google Analytics? Is that like a big lift to collect your own data? It used to be. Okay. <laughs> it Evolving. used to be. Yeah. Yes. Um, cloud services have changed a lot. Mm. It's very easy to set up an endpoint. It's very easy to store. Okay. Yeah, because storage was my next question. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. where do it's you a lot it less expensive to yeah. store it yeah. first party. And it mitigates a lot of challenges around privacy mm, or yeah. even around like, you know, the pre-built systems, they have limits, you know, they've defined how they store the data, the organization of it, the performance of how to retrieve it. Um, when you store it yourself, you don't have those limits. You get to nice. make those decisions. Nice. Yeah. So talking about like programs and different softwares capturing data, obviously a big thing in 
the world of analytics right now is GA and GA4 like mm-hmm. coming dun, dun, out. Dun. I don't really know what that is what it means I know <laughs> I know we've talked about it a lot um can yeah. you kind of tell us what's mm. going on with that and what we've done with that so when we think about GA um you know GA came from Urchin which was a California company that was the first you know that was sort of the the predecessor to GA and they purchased Urchin I guess oh. around 2005 maybe ish 2004 2005 somewhere in there um you know they started evolving and building on top of it back then they could take these like log files that your web servers created and they could crunch those and turn those into reports and Mm. then separately there's this idea of all of these javascript events that i was talking about earlier right so that was kind of like what google analytics started with well Mm. if we think about how old that is (laughs) the tech back then Websites didn't get as much traffic. Um, you know, the complexity of what they they were crunching through wasn't as uh, wasn't as extensive. There weren't apps. A lot of things didn't exist when they started building. You know, that product stack. Right. Yeah. Um, sometime, uh, you know, later they they purchased a company called Firebase. Firebase had in its uh, library it's sort of like a suite of tools for for mobile app development and had its analytic some kind of analytics in its library now I don't know the exact reason why they made this decision but the current version of Google Analytics is sort of like built on this legacy and they kept adding features and expanding it but it was sort of built on this strong foundation mm-hmm. that's been around since they purchased Urchin mm-hmm. Firebase was kind of its own separate code base. It started with just this idea of capturing some of those key events and wasn't really built to do every last kind of possible item, sub-event, or whatever we'd like to call it, that you could capture. Um, However, it most likely had a lot of benefits in how it was architected when it comes to scale. Mm. And the internet is so big right now. And yes. the amount of traffic yes. and events are so big. Still growing. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. And it will and it will continue to grow. So I believe that a lot of the impetus for, for this, or my, my conjecture would be that they, um, that whatever the technology was that that Firebase platform was built on was underneath the hood scales a whole lot better. Mm and is, is more performant and, and ready for the future. So we have GA4 coming out that's sort of an evolution of a product that came much later. And I would say in some ways is still more primitive than than the prior version of Google Analytics. Really? Yeah, I would say because the prior version of Google Analytics had so much investment in feature expansion, mm-hmm. it was very very fleshed out with lots of different you know ways to capture data some of which have already been deprecated lots of different filters and options in its configuration um, but it was sort of architected with an old mindset and then adapted sort of some things stayed the same even yeah. though the internet kept changing yeah the new one is starting from a place where mobile apps were always a thing yeah you know the, the new platform um you know, is open to the idea that we could have applications within applications in virtual spaces and, you know, right. you know, we've got across, <laughs> across screens. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, um, 
I would say what we're looking at right now is just the fact that there is a transition when it comes to, um, you know, the new platform, some, some of the things we were doing before don't translate easily. Uh, it doesn't store in exactly the same way. We don't necessarily have as many slots to put data in. Um, however, it's forced people to rethink how they're tracking in the first place and possibly clean up a lot of their old issues. And, uh, you know, the main benefit being that it should scale well into the future. Yeah. You know, there's a reason I believe that Google's making the investment in this new platform. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so, like, what does that mean for businesses who have their data in Google Analytics right now? Because there is, like, a hard switch coming. Right? It is a yeah. hard switch, yes. Um, they've been talking about the switch, though, for years. So it's, <laughs> it's kind of like real ID, a... like... <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. In right? 2026, yes. we're switching to real ID. <laughs> yep. It, it's Fair it's enough. it's one of those switches that they keep talking about. I do think this time they are going to make the switch. I mean, okay. if all of this is predicated on what I think it is, which has more to do with the infrastructure underneath and wanting to upgrade that, um, you know, they're going to want to to turn some of that old mm. infrastructure off. Mm. Well, they already um, have a little bit, right? I I think they've done a lot of things to guide you away from mm. creating new properties or, or using the old version of, of GA, but it's still there, um, I think, you know, but we're, we're hitting that deadline right now where things yeah. are going to stop working. Yeah. And only the people on the paid accounts will still have a little bit more runway. Okay. Um, so we'll see. Um, but yes, no one wants to fly blind. No one wants right. to be running a web program without, you know, any, any measurement. So, right. uh, I am hoping that, you know, more, more companies catch up and get their GA for. Yeah. Do you think the track. messaging is out there? Like it's coming and most yeah. companies are aware. I think some people are. You know, if, if we think about where this fits in, um, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of companies that are that have a digital presence but not necessarily aren't a digital first company, mm -hmm. they look at a lot of, you know, these kinds of tools and they're like, I'm just getting my head wrapped around the old version of GA. Right. Like, you know, they're, they're still learning how to run digital programs. Mm -hmm. And so for those companies, I don't think they're ready yeah. to make a switch. Um, the companies that have been very digitally focused, their challenge is a little bit different. They've been doing so much with the old version of GA mm. that if they can't replicate or make comparable numbers in GA4, they don't use it. Mm. The problem that we're running into right now is they're not going to be able to use the old version. Oh, they're being stubborn. So they're, they're fighting the growing pains. Yes, yes. And the numbers are different. It calculates sessions differently. It counts things, you know, differently. Attribution is completely confusing for someone who is using the old version of GA to the new ah. version. And even more in depth than I could cover on a, a podcast, yeah, sure. all the tiny nuances of yeah. the business rules of when this counts, but that one doesn't. Um, but we could tell you if you need GA4 consulting. Yes. Um, <laughs> we, can help you sort all, yes. we can help you sort all of that out. Yes. But it's it's forcing people to recalibrate, mm. you know, their measurement. And 
and their their performance metrics that they might have developed processes around for years yeah. now yeah decades even right it's what they're comfortable with right mm-hmm. yeah this podcast is powered by Braindo, a digital marketing agency that not only provides a diverse mix of digital services, but offers guidance, experience, and true partnership to bring your business to the next level. This episode was all about data analytics, but we also offer expertise in design, social media, paid search, just to name a few. We've worked with businesses on every level from local operations to Fortune 500 companies across a variety of industries. We have experts to help strategize and execute your digital marketing needs, no matter what step in the process you're at. We're there for you, from wireframes to paid campaigns. Mm-hmm. Braindo, experts in everything digital. Please reach out today to learn more about how we can help your business grow. So how does a company take data mm-hmm. and turn it into ROI? It's a great question. It's a big question. It is a big question. It's the question. So let's talk about, um, you know, what we mean by that. So, you know, return on investment, is it the investment in the data itself, the investment in the data collection and all the tools, the investment in the team that they put into it? That's, I guess, one form of data, you know, one form of investment that we're looking at and just having the program to collect the data and to analyze it. Mm-hmm. Um, the main thing they need to to be able to do is kind of start looking at their analytics program as a whole, um, look at what it's costing them to have all of this data and to have all of this infrastructure, and um, start making sure that those team members that are involved in working with the data are Mm -hmm. producing insights or producing um, intelligence that allows the company to perform better. Um, so, I mean, when it, when it comes to, you know, the ROI itself, the data itself is useless unless it's being applied to actually change the business, to actually improve the program. Mm -hmm. There's a few different, I guess, areas here. So one way to start to get more value out of it, if you're like buying and selling web companies, I would definitely be much more interested in buying a company that has a strong foundation in its data where I can read it, I can analyze it, I can do forensics on it. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that is where I'm gonna find all of the opportunities to make that investment worthwhile. Um, So I would say, you know, in one way to think about the ROI is it actually just can potentially increase the value of the company as an asset or the digital property as an asset Mm -hmm. when you go to sell it. Uh, to the next buyer who will take advantage of it. Um, I wouldn't have even thought of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's. I mean, it, it's just it's something that's actually come up, you know, yeah. from some projects we've had. Wow. Um, another area that, uh, you know, b- building digital products, right? So like recommendation engines or optimization engines of some kind. Um, you know, these are things that are extremely powerful at helping mm-hmm. people. You know increase their activity or their usage of any particular web application. Um, But they don't work without the right data feeding into them. Mm -hmm. So I would say that's where we can, you know, build data products that are extremely effective. Mm -hmm. Um, The next area that would be the intelligence area. Now it's interesting. There's kind of a few different directions this can go. Um, forensics can be helpful for tracking down fraud or problematic issues that are happening. 
um, you know, hacking attempts, all things like that. I would say there, there's sort of like one use case of data right there that, you know, it turns into ROI basically from saving you or preventing yeah. or, or diagnosing, you know, uh, issues. Mm. Um, more practical uses, I mean, are using the data to, to segment and what is and isn't performing in a marketing program or traffic driving program. Um, how do people navigate from one area to the next and what can we do to increase those rates? Uh, just looking at a number of the different, I guess, rates or of, of action. Mm -hmm. um, if you know that those actions are productive and helpful, anything you can do to kind of run tests, um, make changes, measure, and and continue to improve, um, you're going to get a ton of ROI out of it. Um, and the final, and, and, and that ROI can be both on the user experience design side, mm -hmm. the interface side, yeah. um, and it can also just be on the traffic driving side, like, mm -hmm. you know, are we getting the right people to the application in the first place? So lots of different ways to get ROI. Yeah, yes. many paths, <laughs> yes. I would like to real quick, mm -hmm. in a sentence if you can, mm -hmm. define forensics in data analytics. Looking backwards from an occurrence of a problem or an issue at all of the tiniest levels of activity that preceded it to both profile, understand, diagnose and potentially to prevent that issue nice i was picturing that in my head as a sentence and i was like he's really making this a nice well-built <laughs> sentence <laughs> okay um that also like obviously yeah. a lot of people associate forensics with like csi yeah. um, true crime yeah yes. and i'm just like wow everything you're saying could apply to solving a crime yes. <laughs> you're tracking back like all the things yeah. to try and prevent that stuff happening in the future right well in the case anyway. of fraud and hacking yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> those yeah. are crimes yeah absolutely fingerprinting is like seeing where tracking where people like tapped and stuff <laughs> like <laughs> making literal comparisons <laughs> I took it a forensics I mean, class in high school. They, they use the word <laughs> fingerprinting too in the context yeah. of like what you know, what browser were they using, or what are the characteristics oh. of of you know IP addresses, you know browsers, all sorts of things like that. So you know they're they're kind of looking at trying to you know in certain cases this turns into criminal activity. Mm. They have yeah. to track it down. Yeah. Is, so what is the digital fingerprint? Mm. Right. Of, of, right. Right. <laughs> That's cool. Interesting. Yeah. Do you yeah. think there's a particular reason that um, yeah. there is crossover with data analytics terminology and uh, crime-solving terminology? Um, <laughs> I think it's just because it 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 really is a place where crime can occur, right? Mm. So in you know in the same way, it's it's usually the only place uh, this digital analytics is the only place really to find records of, of what activity occurred mm -hmm. um, you know because it's all 
ones and zeros traveling through wires. How would you like effectively communicate insights to stakeholders and like the impact that they might have? It's a great question because uh, just because you have people doing the, uh, you know, doing a lot of analysis, if the intelligence itself isn't properly communicated to the right stakeholders, they're not going to use it. Mm. So uh, there's a certain part where you need to abstract the insights away from all of their very, very specific technical details and and terminology of sort of how you got it and translate it into the language that the stakeholders speak. Um, You know, it's a lot easier for me to say, if you do X, sales go down. (laughs) Then if you do X, then clicks on such and such, you know, part of such and such screen and they don't know what the names of these screens yeah. are you know yeah. are reduced by you know 13 mm. percent which has a longitude yeah i don't know <laughs> which has a long long range impact right they're not even a, necessarily interested in knowing that full journey they just want to no. know x equals x right why and, why? and honestly <laughs> i wasn't good at math <laughs> oh, you know honestly they don't even just want to know that they want to know and what can we do to improve it mm-hmm. yeah um, so they, they want to hear where things are headed. They want to hear, um, you know, the issues only in so far as those issues lead to solutions and, and, mm-hmm. and start to allow them to, to move, you know, the initiative in the right direction. Mm-hmm. So I would say the most important part is to be brief in explaining the detail, um, knowing that you have a robust body of evidence behind it. Mm-hmm. That way they know they can trust what you're sharing with them. Yeah, if mm-hmm. they have questions, you have more answers. Yes, yeah, so you can go as far down the rabbit holes they'd like to go in mm-hmm. detail. Yeah. And you can accurately articulate your confidence in the data, in the insights that you're pulling. Right. But they really only care about the intelligence itself and not necessarily every last detail of and nuance about how you gathered it. Right. Keep it simple. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. You're you've gathered all this data yeah. and you're you're creating insights. Mm-hmm. Um which I mean like an insight, at least my understanding, is kind of like your solution theory, kind of like your hypothesis in, in science when you're doing like a a, a lab or an experiment, you're like, this is my hypothesis, I think this is causing this, and now I'm going to like test it to see if that is the cause, like recreating the thing. The, the insight should actually be the the, te- the result of the test itself. Oh. So okay. I would say, you know, I think about it, um, you know, we're gonna have a lot of, of observations, right? And then the observations itself should be synthesized into something that is more advanced than the observation by itself. It's mm-hmm. like A happened, then B happened, dot, 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 C. The insight has more to do with gathering all the Cs. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, now, you know, when it comes to, to tests and all of that work, it, it, you know, you may start off with certain observations to construct a test, to come up with a test plan. Um, one thing that a lot of companies aren't doing 
is having a proactive testing program or mm. a proactive uh, in, insight program. And so that means they don't have a director or, or a manager um, working with a calendar of all of the different studies that they'd like to perform over the year. They have more of a uh, a reactive program mm. where you know the marketers ask questions or the user experience people ask questions and the problem or the challenge with that is that it means that some of the time they aren't doing they're, they're only doing the value of the work they're doing is only as good as the questions that they're being that they're reacting to that they're being asked um, if they had a proactive program they might look at it more holistically saying okay, when are we making changes to the application? Or what are some, some larger hypotheses that we have that remain untested? Mm-hmm. Um, they're, gonna ha- they're going to time things broader, you know, not just specific insights into a, one issue that happened last Tuesday, but broader topics around you know, how do we want to perform next quarter mm-hmm. or two quarters from now. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're going to be doing work in advance that's going to, to come in sort of at just the right time to, to, to make changes, to have an impact. Um, so going back in that direction of insights, I guess one thing that I would say that needs to be done is that the observations need to be turned into insights, which are sort of the nugget of valuable information that we gathered from it those insights need to be turned into intelligence, mm-hmm. which puts all of those insights in perspective and starts looking at the importance, the impact, what to be done about it, and uh, is used for anybody making any planning or major changes to any of the programs. So you have the intelligence, and then mm-hmm. you're taking it into the actions. That's like the the end point, I'm guessing. like. Maybe if we had like a concrete example, let's say we're doing like, we're gathering data and we mm-hmm. see that we're trying to get people down the funnel to a purchase and we're on mm-hmm. a homepage with like a video, a um, purchase CTA, and then maybe some like other links to less important pages underneath. And we're seeing like, I don't know, let's say we're seeing a lot of people watch the video, but not a lot of people converting to purchasing, uh, hitting the purchase button. Um, and that's kind of our data. What might be your kind of next, what, how would you handle taking that information, kind of creating maybe an observation and then testing that? Sure. So, you know, one question I have is, do we have like a before state or do we have anything that may have occurred before where we were having better performance? Mm-hmm. I'd want to look at all the differences between the design qualitatively, mm-hmm. try to determine what what is different about the two different experiences um, and see if we can use that to sort of drive a hypothesis. Um, another thing that I would be looking at is, uh, you know, let's look at device type. So is this happening more on you know, certain screen sizes, certain orientations, certain device types. Um, I might look at certain, you know, user groups, existing, you know, past purchasers, only prospects that are responding differently. Um, I might look at, 
you know, different layout elements? Do I have any other purchase buttons around videos on other pages? You know, is this, is this layout different than, the, than their layout? Um, trying to create a baseline or trying to create maybe a point of reference. And so, you know, the idea is to kind of approach it from different angles to try to see if you can figure out, you know, where could a design change? Mm -hmm. Where uh, could content, you know, maybe in the video itself change? Mm -hmm. We might look at different abandonment points, cue points in the video when people abandon. Um, uh, where did they go next? If they didn't hit the purchase button, did they hit anything? Did they leave the site? What happened? And maybe if they're going to other places, maybe we want to, you know, maybe the other calls to action could be distracting. Mm -hmm. um, maybe the purchase button itself, you know, we, we, we do a lot of work here around ADA compliance. Maybe we've got mm -hmm. a small segment of the population is colorblind and, and they don't see the button with, with any sort of contrast. Maybe there are different, you know, um, different areas where we can be a bit you know presumptuous with mm. coming up with some hypotheses on on why uh, we're seeing a differentiation in performance or we're seeing underperformance and start to test those things out mm -hmm. or to just make proactive improvements yeah. that yeah. does remind me of um your ux glossier audit the <laughs> buttons were really they didn't stand out mm -hmm. and i wouldn't right. be surprised if they you know saw repercussions from that yeah yeah so like something we could do then would be like an a b test mm -hmm. could, could you explain what those are and how they help inform decisions yes so uh, simply put we serve two different versions of the same design or page um, and we determine which one has a better uh which one has more forward progression? Which one has mm. a better rate of moving forward into whatever direction we'd like the customer to move? Um, coming up with proper test design is, is like designing an experiment. Mm -hmm. We're looking for statistical significance. We're looking for confidence. Um, so there is a stat side to the math of this. And then we are also just looking at uh, having a different enough change um, to have an impact but not right. so many moving parts where we can't gather enough information about each one right like just the one variable that yeah. you're really testing against yeah and sometimes that one variable could be a whole recipe um yeah. you know it it just depends on the sample size you have the mm -hmm. time you have to test and really um you know it's very easy to keep testing too many details to the point where you've lost the roi on the entire testing process yeah <laughs> yeah Lost so, in the sauce. Yes. <laughs> Lost so, in the details. I, I would generally say, you know, test, um, you know, having a bigger, a larger or more differentiated experience to get a broader sense of differences um, would be my first round. And I'd only go into more refined testing of, of very small individual elements. When you have a, a, good reason to believe that it could have an impact that makes sense for the, the amount of effort mm -hmm. um and b you have enough you know you've already taken care of the larger changes that you can yeah that so makes sense. let's say on, on on our 
uh, hypothetical journey. Mm -hmm. We're gonna, you know, A-B test this video button combo on this homepage. Yes. And we did something where we did like different copy maybe. And mm -hmm. then we did like a different design and we see one is outperforming the other. Um, what would be our next step then there on this data-driven journey? Generally speaking, we promote the winning variation. Yeah. Um, what I would say a lot of people don't think about is now abstracting the principle behind it mm. and kind of maintaining or sharing that story with the UX design team and other people involved in the process to make sure that they start from that place of of the winning concept mm -hmm. um you know when they when they go to design the next screen yeah the why so. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah something i had on my mind is mm -hmm. when we were interviewing kelsey benoit mm -hmm. um she shared with us a great anecdote that really i thought aligned with brain do's core values mm -hmm. as well about being data driven and yeah. it's that like um, she had a mentor tell her, you know, don't trust your gut, trust the data mm -hmm. and how that saved her. And she's sure her clients like a lot of money and on like not doing the thing you think you should, do, you want to yeah. do, but like the actual yeah. substantial thing. Um, what, like, how, how would you handle that kind of, uh, situation where maybe somebody has like a gut instinct and yes. you're like here but the data might be saying something mm. else yes i think an, an important part there is to partner with all of the people that have strong opinions or strong feelings towards something in that you know make sure that they feel heard and understood mm. um, and try to understand the angle that they're coming from so you know when i think about um you know, a, a strong design idea or a strong concept, I might say, how would, if that's working, how would we see that in the data? Once we have a good understanding of like what it would look like, what success would look like, then we just say, we're just gonna run a test. We're gonna test it against maybe some other concepts or some other areas that maybe some other folks have strong opinions about or that we've seen work well in the past mm -hmm. or something inspired from what you know a, com a competitive situation or an analog you know to what we're doing that seems to be performing well right. mm -hmm. and we we put it out there we we test it we try to learn you know sometimes it's not uh, cut and dry it concept b performs better than concept a sometimes <laughs> or in certain cases or certain you know certain ways and we use that to try to come back and say, okay, this is what we're pulling out. This is what we're seeing. This is what we, you know, maybe we should test a variation, a blend of the two, or maybe we should try concept B under these circumstances mm -hmm. and have something a bit more like concept A in other circumstances. As long as everybody in, in, on the team is aligned that we're just trying to do the best thing for the company, for mm -hmm. the digital program, for the application, we should be able to set, you know, some egos to, to the side and also leave it out there that it's like this, this idea, you know, to not invalidate anybody's ideas that this idea could work under a different cons, mm. you know, context or in a different situation. Yeah. And yeah. so I'm not, you know, trying to, um, you know, I, there's no reason to attack it. <laughs> um, 
Right, so. like it might be the, a great solution for you, but it might not be the best solution for like the person you're trying to reach. Mm. Yes. Um, and that those are just yeah. different things. Yeah. A, a data-driven organization, you know, generally speaking, should be able to incrementally improve itself over time and prevent a lot of waste or a lot of loss. Um, and you can still do big, bold ideas and be data-driven. Um, one thing I think that's important is just to make sure that everybody aligned. If, if you're an analyst and you're trying to give them the answer on how to improve you know, certain numbers, make sure everybody's aligned that those are the right numbers. Mm. Yeah. Um, and uh, once you know that you're definitely going after the right numbers, um, you know, then make sure they understand why your recommendations are what they are, really why the intelligence is telling you something different maybe than what their gut is suggesting. Yeah. So as we wrap up here, what are kind of three quick tips you might give another business trying to increase their data analytics, data analytics ROI? I would say invest in the quality of the data and its collection. Um, and then set up that proactive process that we talked about. Um, earlier in that you have someone doing proactive analyses mm -hmm. looking at the large looking at the the larger um the larger program mm -hmm. and and the big picture and then i would say start being open-minded that you will be using this data to create new data products in the future yeah you know in the, with uh, you know the advancements in ai and and machine learning um, and with, you know, the fact that we have, um, you know, the ability to create responsive experiences, mm. start planning ahead to be able to use this data in new creative ways in the future and that it's the investment in the other two areas will pay off. I think it's really easy for people to stay focused on the present, but for something like this, you have to also have that focus on the future. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Brian Cosgrove, for being a guest with us here on the Marketing Roundtable podcast. As always, you can follow Braindo on Instagram and TikTok at brain.do. You can connect with us on LinkedIn. That'll be linked in the description box below. And we will see you next time on the, the Roundtable. Roundtable. Yay.